Hi, and welcome to the Purdue Commercial AgCast from the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture. I'm Dr. Brady Brewer, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics. And joining me today uh, are members of the Purdue's Farm Transition Team from the Purdue Institute for Family Business, Renee Wyatt and Dr. Maria Marshall. So today's podcast, uh, we're going to focus on another farm transition topic, uh, which is going to be governance. Uh, now, before we get into the topic of governance, I just want to remind everyone that this is part of the Farm Transition series. Uh, so the link to the rest of the topics on the Farm Transition series will be in the description of this podcast. I also want to take a, a call out the Purdue Institute for Family Business YouTube page, which also has videos on, on these topics as well and is, and is a great resource. Uh, so with that, uh, welcome Renee and Dr. Marshall. Let's start with what is governance? So I said today's topic is governance, but some people may not even know what, what we're referring to there. So what is governance? Well, governance is um, who has power, who makes decisions, how people are going to have their voices heard, and how do we keep people accountable? But basically, it's what policies do you have in place and how do you organize your business in a way that... Uh, you have a competent business structure and competent family members running your business structure. You keep control and you have family cohesion. That's kind of the big, broad definition of governance. So you're talking about who has the power, who has the decisions. Uh, I, I liken this to when I, when I teach my agribusiness class, uh, you know, I, I organize it based on the four tasks of management, which is planning a business, organizing a business, controlling the business, and then directing it. Uh, this really fits in the organizing. How do you organize yourself and your family to go execute what your farm or, or small business strategy is um, within the, uh, the, the competency and, and keeping the cohesion and, and keeping the control with the desired people? So I think that when we have these policies in place, people aren't just floating around in the family business, not really knowing their role, not really knowing how they fit in, not knowing what kind of control they have and where their future is. So when we have those policies that really define how people, you know, even how people enter and exit the business, who can join the business, right? Do you have to be a blood relative? Can in-laws be a part? Things like that. When you have those policies in place, it really helps to define the business, define where you're going and helps people see where they fit in and what their, what their control can be and their power is in that business. So is, is governance a formal or an informal structure? So you mentioned policies, Renee. Is, is this something that needs to be in a clear written document or can farms and small businesses have informal governance as well? So I always lean towards the side of caution. I like having things written down so that we can reference back. I think that it's good to have an open discussion if you don't have those policies yet. I think it's good to have an open discussion, kind of brainstorm, see what the family and the key people in the business think to form these policies. You don't just want to throw them at people and say, these are the new rules, right? We want to have some collaboration and have our minds thinking together in the same way of what kind of policies can we put in place to achieve our strategic goals and our growth that our business wants to have. But I was leaning towards having them written. Um, that way, of course, when you have a new person enter the business, you can say, these are our policies. This is what our family and our business has agreed upon. And this is how we conduct our business. You're never too small to have formal business planning procedures in place. 
And you have to realize that even if they're not written, the policies are there. They're those kind of unwritten policies. It's when you say this is the way we've always done it, that's a policy, right? It's just not written. And so when you do have other members of the family, it's like, well, we've always had family members come into the business and they've never had to go out or get a college degree or have some type of technical competence. But all of a sudden you say that we do. Right. That's where you start to get <laughs> into these informal and formal ways of thinking of something. Uh, so it sounds like this is pretty important in, in terms of, of keeping people on, on the same track. But who's uh, who sets the governance? Uh, so in essence, who's what's the policy for setting the policy? Is there any particular rule of thumb that you guys have for who should be involved in, in the governance structure and, and, and the making of the governance policies? Well, whoever's involved in the business now, particularly in ownership and management, should be involved in thinking about the governance structure and thinking about governance and thinking about what works in the present now, but also how do we want to move things in the future? So uh, a good idea about setting policies is thinking about it as a constitution, right? It can be amended and you can have amendments and all these things, but there, if you think about it forward looking, um, you're not looking at doing a policy that's particularly related to a particular person or particular situation. Because when you have a policy, there might at sometimes be winners and losers right, of that particular policy. So when you institute something right now, um, then it looks like you're being personal to that particular person because you're now instituting the policy. So if you're thinking forward looking and say, okay, from now on, we do or do not want our in-laws, any in-laws to be part of the business. They're not just naturally part of the business, right? That would be a policy. So that's not about, oh, I really don't like my daughter or brother-in-law or son-in-law, and all of a sudden we don't want in-laws in the business, right? It's a policy that's been there for, for a long time. It has no particular, so even those you like will not be able to be part of the business, right? We've got companies that then later say, well, you know, this was part of a policy. We had no in-laws, but now we see that our in-laws can be a viable part and a great contribution to our business, and so we're not going to have that policy anymore. Remember, their policies are not written in stone. They can be changed as things go along, but you have to start somewhere. So a good example of this, Maria, it makes it reminds me of when we visited Bissell. So Bissell is a large company, right? But they're actually a family business. And so when we visited them, their CEO and owner was talking to us about how his son-in-law was actually a very good fit for the business, but their policy and their governance structure was that only core family members, blood family members, were allowed to join the business. And so they had to amend their policies and vote as a board to let that son-in-law come in. And this son-in-law, I think, had like an MBA. He had all kinds of logistics training. He had all kinds of great assets for that business. But they had their policy set, and they didn't want to, you know, sway from those without having a consensus. So having having a way to set the governance, right? That they had a way to, to to vote on it and say, okay, we know we need to amend our policies, and here's the procedure to do that because we're all in agreement it needs to be done. Sounds like a pretty key step, because uh, uh, doesn't sound like your your first policies you make are going to be what is going you're going to have in 10, 15 years. You're probably going to want to amend them at some point, right? As needs arise. Um, so what about 
when we think about governance and, and uh, the policies that here, what are some specific examples? So you guys mentioned um, the in-laws, right? I think that's a pretty common one uh, to have and pretty understandable. Uh, what are some other typical policies that would fall under governments that you guys would uh, say businesses need to think about? So um, a couple of things that we have heard, um, not just in farm businesses, but across different businesses that we've worked with, some of them, if um, if someone wants to become become a part owner, they have to have um, if if they enter the business unmarried, they have to have a prenup before they get married so that it protects that business's assets. And so that's a policy that can be in place. Right. And that's something that you obviously want to have set before. <laughs> before somebody decides to get married, right? So that's something that we can have in place. Um, so now Renee, just to be clear there, so you're saying, so let's say you and Maria have a business and I'm going to buy my way in and I'm unmarried. Uh, I, I would essentially create a prenup for my to be determined spouse uh, that when we get married, like they have no interest in the business or, or something along that lines is what you're saying. Correct, yep, because we don't wanna, op- we don't want to open up the business to, um, liabilities that could be otherwise mitigated. And so that's where governance and policies can come into play too. Yeah, so another policy could be, um, do you have a social media policy for anybody tied to the business? Now, you know, my 20 years ago, you probably would never have thought that you might need a social media policy. But um, particularly if your business has is heavily identified with your family, so it has your family name on it, um, do you want uh, somebody's either political views or your son or daughter out having a party <laughs> or something or something tied to your social media? And it's tied directly to your business and how that makes your business look and the identity of your business. So is there a policy that dictates who gets to talk for the business? So who deals with any, if anything happens, who talks for the business? Who has that? Is it anybody that's tied to the business or is just one person who gets to talk in terms of who, who deals with anything related to the business when it comes to like external communication. So that would be a policy that you would want to talk about. Yeah, I, I think that's a great one because we've seen even in ag, uh, if you think about small farms, um, I can think of examples on social media where someone has said something uh, and there's been backlash or um, a, a larger response to what was said. And, you know, I, I don't have verifiable data to, to know, okay, this, this business was ruined because of it or anything like that, but it probably caused an opera or a situation that that business wish they didn't have to go through in, in any way. So. Yeah, particularly farms, which are very tied to their communities and are, uh, you know, farm owners are considered leaders in their communities. They have heavy ties. And so that can cause some consternation that you might not want to just because you don't have a policy of like, hey, we want to make sure that these things are these things are separate. What about requirements for employment? So we kind of mentioned buying into the uh, the business, but what about policies related to just if if you if someone wants to work on the farm? Uh, is there any uh, certain policies that, that people can put in place there? Sure. So they can talk, they can think about do they want certain years of experience for new, the next generation to come in? So do they want them to have a, a degree of some sort or some type of education? It doesn't have to be a four-year degree, but do they want them to have some type of education that can be applied to the farm, whether that be through experience of working off the farm before they come back in? Can anybody come back regardless of 
their um, experience, uh, what they can bring back to the farm? Does everybody get paid the same? when they come back into the business, right? We, if we want to, if our definition of fairness is everybody's the same, are you going to play your children the same, no matter what their qualifications are? And so your daughter's been on the farm with you for five years. Now your youngest son comes into the farm. Do they get paid the same all of a sudden? Or is there a discrepancy? And how do you um, give them a raise or not, right? Are you going to pay them the same the whole time? I'm assuming you're going to give them a raise at some point because at first they come in as employees, not as owners. So how do you deal with their job descriptions? How do you deal with providing incentives, giving them a raise or holding them accountable? Um, and and how, do those, how do those things happen? They're not going to happen just, they're not going to magically appear, Right. So thinking them through before somebody says, hey, I've been working for three years and I've yet I'm making the same amount of money. What's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) You have to think these things, think these things through. And also who's making those decisions, right? Who gets to decide if if the raise actually happens? Right. I mean, I would love a vote on I'm sure we would all love a vote on our raises, but unfortunately, our employer has said that there's a different process and we are not in control of that. So. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think you. one of the things that's tangential to this that I, I want to talk about is the business structure side, because uh, it can actually affect governance. Um, how does business structure uh, impact how these decisions get made? Well, um, for example, if you're a corporation, you are required to have a board of directors and you're required to meet at least once, right? Versus if you're a sole proprietor. So depending on the complexity of your legal structure, you are required by law to have different organizations put in place. So if you're a sole proprietor or let's say a partnership, you might not be required to have a board of directors. You probably wouldn't have want to have some kind of advisory group that can help you make decisions um, and maybe sometimes even hold you accountable of the things that you do. Um, but you're required by law in certain organizations or certain legal structures to have uh, governance in place. Now, some people might have just performa, it's my sp- myself, my spouse, and we are the corporation. He's the secretary, I'm the CEO, it's a COO <laughs> and CFO, <laughs> right? And then uh, we meet and at the kitchen table and there we go, we've met. There's quite a few of that going on, but you know, we, we would say actually take advantage that you need to do this and actually put in place a board of directors to think through some really big decisions. Something that people need to be prepared for is that when you do that though, you are giving up some of that control. So if you're someone that wants to operate like a sole proprietorship, uh, where you know if you're the founder of the farm, uh, you know, using the Apple example where Steve Jobs gets fired from Apple and then they rehire him back, right? Uh, that was a, a momentous, occasion for that particular company because you're essentially firing this person that rose you to prominence uh performance goes south and the board of directors uh essentially staged a coup and said no we don't want you as as the ceo anymore we we want someone else to lead this company and here you had a someone with a majority stake in the company from an ownership perspective uh get told from your board of directors we don't think you're the right person to be making this the, the decisions right now now, as we know, Apple has now came back and is one of the larger companies in the world. So everything worked out, uh, but that is something that could happen. So if you form a board of directors and it, maybe it's by ownership stake, uh, 
uh, if you view yourself as the CEO, the board of directors does have power now, and that affects the governance structure. That does, and it can go both ways, right? Because it can help you in some ways to say, no, I can't hire my child because they're not competent, right? And so the board says, no, they can't be the CEO. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to look at uh, ways where seat boards uh, can go south or can help you, you can look at U-Haul and the story of U-Haul and that family business and how it's just, and it's just a very interesting story of how um, founders can be, thrown out of their own business um, as you give up control, even to your children by state, whether they're the board or not, um, and get locked out of your own business. But that, but then again, that happens when there's no family cohesion, right? So that's why that three, that extra three or that other three of cohesion plays a huge role in how people make decisions and can structure governance and policies and how those follow through. So every policy has a good and bad implication depending on the situation. Yeah, uh, you know, the Apple example is really focusing on the control of those three C's, uh, but I, I think you bring up a good point. The other two C's, uh, the competency and the cohesion is just as good. Maybe if there would have been better cohesion, the, the issues in the control department would not have happened. So because we're touching on how this can go wrong, how can governance go wrong? Is there any watch outs for, you know, maybe policies being too strict on the policy side um, or, or anything like that, that you would give advice to people setting these policies? I think Renee touched on something earlier, right? When you talked about setting them right when somebody's getting to, to get married. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we want to make sure that we have those policies in place before we say, you know, we say a lot policies before problems, right? You want to have these policies in place before the problem arises so that when the situation does arise, it's not really a problem. We have a policy for it, right, that carries us through. Um, I would say that with all things, you know, there's a balance between having so many policies that you're overwhelmed and with having no policies where everybody's just floating around. So you want to be somewhere in the middle, um, you don't you don't want to make it seem too strict to where people feel like they can't enter the business or like it would be too much to enter the business or too stressful. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we have those barriers to entry. We have those policies in place. We make sure we're strict enough on our social media that, like Maria mentioned, we don't we don't hurt our business by having somebody who has access to the social media say something that they shouldn't have, or they post it on the wrong page, right? They meant to post it on their personal page and instead they post it on the business page, things like that. So we wanna have these policies in place, but we don't wanna to be too strict to where it seems like a burden to employees and owners and managers. And we wanna realize that values change over time. Family values change over time. Values change over time in terms of, I mean, before 30 years or 45 years ago, you might not have had not thought of your daughter as one of the, the successors for your farm right at that time. There might have been those family values that might change. So those change over time and so should policies and the way that you organize your business. And so uh, to me, some things to think about and watch out for is that um, it helps guide your decision making. It's not your decision, right? It's not, it's not the ultimate decision. It just helps guide your decision making. It's a policy that you want to help you in that decision making policy. And it does allow others to give to get a voice in into what, what's going to happen for the business. So think about it as a way to guide the next generation into your business. Um, where, you know, not so many, you know, it could be barriers and boundaries, but it also guides them 
into the next generation and reduces the uncertainty that they already have in coming in to the business. They want to be in the business with you as the incumbent and, and they, they want to work. They have high ties to the family, to the business. And so this decreases those uncertainties that they might have about what's going to happen moving forward. So that's a good way, I think, of thinking about policies. And maybe the first ones you start with are the ones that help you build that cohesion, competence, and control and start with those. You can start with things like job descriptions. That's a pretty low bar. <laughs> right? And move your way up. But think about bringing in the next generation because you want them to, at some point, you want the next generation to make decisions with you um, as the incumbent and to take over those decisions. So you can start when your kids are really young and saying, where do we all want to make a decision? take our next vacation how do we make decisions as a household and how do people's voices get heard even when you're young so that they're used to making decisions with you um, and then it translates to making the decision with you when they're in college uh, and when they get out of college or get out of whatever come back to the farm and make decisions as an adult um, and so I think a lot of families, you know, if we grow up, if you grew up like me, you didn't have a lot of decision-making authority as a child, <laughs> especially I grew up in a military household. So it was like, you do what you're told, but then all of a sudden you want me to join a business and make decisions on my own and, and kind of get over that authority, kind of more authoritarian way of, of, of handling your, your child. So think about little things you can do. If you have young children now and you're thinking about succession, because you should think about it very early. And how do you make decisions as a household? How does that translate into making decisions as a business? It's not gonna be completely different in some ways, right? So thinking about those, and that's a governance structure. That's a way of doing governance and doing and having decisions and making policies. So Maria, I think it's pretty safe to say you had a very strict governance structure when you were a child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, just because I'm fascinated, you know, I, I'm an economist by trade, but I also, you know, econ economics is a branch of psychology uh, or related to it, at least. Uh, one of the things I, I teach is when we think about directing people is McGregor's theory X, Y. And, and Maria, I think you just touched on this. Uh, there's some, you know, throughout history, uh, businesses have been very much more inclined to theory X, which is very more military, uh, military style, right? Like you have to have these very strict policies in place for your employees to follow. Or otherwise, uh, theory X kind of said that uh, people wouldn't do the right thing or they would be very self-motivated. Uh, theory Y, on the other hand, is has been creeping into business governance styles here over the last hundred years. And theory Y is saying that employees need a lot more freedom, uh, that they actually want to do good for the business uh, and you should give them much more freedom to, uh, to do what they want to do. I think in reality, what, what I'm hearing from you guys is that it's a mix, right? The, the optimal is probably somewhere in the middle. You want to give them the freedom and you want to have the, the ability to change values as you go along as a, as a small family business and farm, but you also need those policies in place that you can stand by uh, so people know what to expect. I think you've summed it up great. <laughs> so um, on that note, uh, this podcast has been over governance structure. For uh, more great information on uh, this topic, you can visit the Purdue Institute for Family Business website at purdue.edu slash agecon. 
slash fam biz. You can also go to their YouTube page. Um, if you uh, type in Purdue Institute for Family Business in the search bar of YouTube, you will be able to find their YouTube page as well for more great information. For more economic information, uh, please visit the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture's website at purdue.edu slash commercial ag. So on behalf of the Center for Commercial Agriculture and the Purdue Institute for Family Business and the Farm Transition Team, I am Brady Brewer and we thank you for listening.